Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. Thank you, Jesus. I can preach or not preach. It doesn't matter to me, but I just want to be obedient to what the Lord wants, wants to do. I've had many of Sundays where I've just laid down what I've believed was right and then took up what I knew what the Lord was saying, and, the, and, and we just grow with him like that, and we have mercy and love with one another like that. As we step out in things in the spirit, we just are practicing, and then we cut each other a lot of slack in the spirit, amen, because we've got a lot of love for each other. There's a lot of love in this room. There might be a few people that don't like things too much, but for the 98% of you, you're really, you're really happy about, who's happy about what's going on in here, amen? It's good stuff. Thank you, Jesus. Would you turn with me to First Peter? Pardon me, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter one. You know, I like I was saying that I can. As a matter of fact, I was going to say I can preach and teach or not preach, teach whatever. Um, and Liz knows me, of course, better than anybody besides for the Lord. And every everything in me, naturally speaking, is is more to go and um, hide in a in a closet and you know, shy away from being in front of people. That's not my natural bent. And I heard a minister recently, and he was talking about that in his early days of, of speaking and teaching and stuff that he, would, he was supposed to be ministering. And there was a couple times where he was found like hiding in a closet or whatever because he was so scared to step out. And when you realize the weight that your words hold, and I realize that more and more all the time, I'm more reluctant to... To share things, and I am maybe bold to do it, but when God says to do it, that's when you just get bold and you share what he tells you to share. So there's this, I want to read this first here before we get into a few things the Lord wants to share here this morning. Second um, Peter chapter 1, and we'll just start with verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I tell you what, when you start to understand the imputed righteousness, it takes on a whole different meaning when you read about the righteousness of God and Jesus Christ. I used to read things about righteousness and think, oh man, I, gotta, I really got to measure up. Now I go, thank you, Jesus, that I am measured up because of you. But look here in verse two, it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now listen to this. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And I, I want to tell you something. And this isn't even what I want to minister on. But I felt really impressed to share this. This is very important. Because if, if we're going to move with God, we have to move together with God. How many of y'all agree with that? We shouldn't just have a bunch of people that believe and think a bunch of different things, but we need to believe together with what the Lord is doing. And the, if you look at the, the Protestant Reformation, which was, what was it, uh, 15, 17 or something like that, I don't know, somewhere around there, about 500 years ago, I think we just had the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And do you know that by and large, the church as a whole I'm not saying that there wasn't pockets because revival history and church history tells us different, but as a whole, the church 
was completely in a mindset of being justified by their works and not justified by faith. And when you understand what Martin Luther, what he was all about was getting people to understand that they're not justified by their works, but they're justified by, by faith. And that was a big part of why he put the 95 Thesis on the door in Luxembourg or whatever city it was in Germany. And that was a turning point in history. And it has been progressive in a good way, it's been progressive from that point to this day for the church as a whole having a revelation of who they are and the stance they have, the right standing that they have in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's continuing even from this day. The church still doesn't quite have a hold of it. And I'll include me in that too. I'm growing and learning in that area all the time. But this is the reason why I felt very impressed to share this before I share with what time uh, the Lord has given us left. Praise God. Amen. You know, I've heard things like, you know, well, I didn't have enough time because the worship leader took too long. Listen, we don't follow the worship leader or the preacher. We follow the Holy Ghost and we just flow with the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And so but I felt impressed to share this, that the reason why we have the teaching and the preaching of the word is because of what it says right here. It says, in his divine power has given to us all things. Everybody say all things, all things. that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. If we don't have the ministry of the word, then we don't have any knowledge of him. And if we don't have any knowledge of him, then we will not have manifest all things that he has for us to manifest. Could you imagine what the worship was like before the Protestant Reformation? <laughs> We're talking after the church settled down after the first few hundred years, up until the time of the Protestant Reformation. So we'll say 1,200 years-ish. I, I could not imagine. It was probably absolutely awful. Do you know why the worship is so powerful nowadays in certain places where the Holy Ghost is allowed to flow? It's because of not only the anointing that he's placed on people like these guys to do that, but it's also because of the revelation of who God is. Because you can't worship the Lord any higher than the revelation that you have of him. It's extremely important. Everything that we do has to be based off proper revelation understanding of who he is. Otherwise, we're capped. So what does that tell us? That tells us that our revelation of who he is needs to continue to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow. And I felt so impressed to share this because there is a, there is a tendency. And look, like I said, I can preach or not preach I, don't, I really don't care. I just want what the Lord wants. But when he says to reveal certain things, to share certain things, he knows what the people need. And it's important that you, that you trust me in that, not that I'm perfect, but that I am hearing from the Lord to give the church, to give the body what he needs. Amen. Because if we don't have certain things that he says that we need, we're not going to grow to higher levels in him, higher understanding in him. And therefore, our worship, therefore, the prophecy, therefore, everything that we do gets capped because we don't have the proper and the higher revelation that he wants us to have of him. Does that make sense? 
Hallelujah. Who in here believes that that's the right thing? This is why Paul told Timothy, and I believe it was 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, somewhere around there. He says, Get, he told Timothy, he said, Give heed until I come, give heed to instruction, to uh, doctrine, and to the reading of the word. And so it's right for ministries, for ministers, for churches to have the preaching and the teaching of the word. I'm not trying to validate myself here. I don't have to validate me. God's already validated me as his son. I don't need the pat on the back anymore. I used to when I was a weak and beggarly person. But now that I know my sonship in Christ, I'm not looking for a pat on the back, but I'm looking for people to understand the importance of what the Lord wants. Thank you, Jesus. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. So I want to ask this question, and I have a hard time giving you a title for what I'm going to share, but I'm just going to share my heart. But I do want to ask this question, so maybe this is the, the title. When you read Paul's writings, and you've heard me say this again, and I'll say it over and over and over again, we have to be so careful that we don't pull out certain passages in the Bible and build a doctrine around them. And I know I'm guilty of this like so many people, but we'll take one verse and we'll, we'll pull out all kinds of what we believe to be understanding and we'll build entire philosophies, ways of thinking around that mixed with all kinds of things that we've heard people preach or teach or whatever. But if we're going to understand the word for what it really is, we have to understand the verse in context of the chapter, the chapter in context of the book, and the book in context of the covenant, and the covenant, of course, in context of the whole Bible. It's extremely important. And when you read Paul's writings you get an understanding that he was trying to get people to come from this mindset that was of uh, legalism. And see, when I talk about legalism, a lot of people think I'm, I'm just talking about the Mosaic law. And it's not limited to that. It includes that, but it's not limited to that. It's any form of work that people put themselves under in order to try to get or keep right standing with the Lord. And just like what Wendy was saying, that the flesh always wants to do something, always wants to perform. And so, so many people find themselves trapped in that. And so Paul, when he went on his missionary journeys, he didn't just go and just tell people about the goodness of God. He gave his life. And when you read about the things that happened to him, I believe that he was actually killed probably on more than one occasion and was raised from the dead. This guy was beaten with rods. He was uh, whipped. It says uh, 39 times minus one or 40 times minus one, 39 times. He was whipped at three times that happened to him. He was ship, shipwrecked. He was left in hunger and naked and peril. Had all of these things happen to him. And, but in his missionary journeys, not only did that happen, but he saw entire regions totally shaken with the power of the gospel. And instead of them coming into some system of works, he brought them into relationship with Jesus through the cross. So then when you see Paul writing in particular areas, like in Galatians here, you see him, he's angry. He's mad when you read his writings. And in, in the book of Romans... And he actually never went to Rome, but he wrote a letter to the Romans. And it was Paul's expose of the gospel to help people understand what grace was really all about. But when you read here in Galatians, he basically takes the gloves off and he just beats them to a pulp. And he uses extremely strong language. And in chapter 3, which we're not going to go there, but in chapter 3, he says, you foolish Galatians. Some translations say, you stupid Galatians, who's bewitched you? 
that's pretty strong language. I mean, could you imagine? Most of us in here know who Pastor Bobby is. Could you imagine if Pastor Bobby wrote a letter to Overcomers Church International and said, you stupid overcomers, who's bewitched you? I mean, I think most of us would be like, look, that guy ain't coming back here. And if he does, I'm not coming. I mean, that's how we'd feel. But that was, that was the language that Paul wrote. And so, and we're going to read a little bit more here about this, this language that he had. So the question then begs, why was he so angry? And we're going to answer that. But look here in Galatians chapter 1 and in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. I want you to notice that he uses the word grace and gospel interchangeably there. So when we're talking and when the Bible is referring to the gospel, it specifically is referring to grace. There is not another gospel. And I'm going to get into some things here and hopefully bring out, probably not today, but in the, in the weeks to come to help you understand what the different perversions there are of the gospel. We have people that uh, uh, preach Jesus, but a lot of legalism. And there's also some real goofballs that preach Jesus, but then say it doesn't even matter what you do. I can tell you it matters what you do in your life. I'm not going to get into that right now. But listen to the language here. In verse 7, he said, which is not another. So again, he says, that I marvel that you, let's go back and read verse six. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So in other words, he's saying, really, you're believing a perverted gospel. It's a mixed gospel. You're mixing other things with Jesus. And it's really no gospel at all because the message of the gospel is that you don't have to perform anymore for God to love you, for God to accept you, any of of that. And that's what Jesus came in and, and came to produce. But listen to what he says here. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven, he didn't say an angel from hell. He said, even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. That's that's really strong language. I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be on the other end of what he's writing here. See, somebody came into this, this, and Galatia wasn't just a church, but it was a whole region of churches. And somebody came into this region after the Apostle Paul had spent months and years with them, not only getting them converted, but getting them to understand that the performance was over, that Jesus did all of the performance that was ever necessary for them to be right with the Father. But someone came in and perverted. See, they didn't come in and just say everything Paul said was wrong. They came in and said what Paul said was right, but you got to do some other things. In specific circumcision is what they was the issue here. But notice in verse 9, and he says, As we have said before, speaking of the previous verse, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He's speaking a double curse on here for people that mix anything with the gospel to attain what God has freely given by grace. Whew. I don't want to be the person who's been bewitched And I don't want to be the person who does the bewitching. So when I read this, I think, because see, this was Paul writing this letter, but it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired him to write this letter so that for 2,000 years, and however long we're, we're left here on this earth, that the church could read it and understand that there's a, listen now, I'm going to get into this, but there is a spirit that worked back then and is working now to pervert the gospel of Jesus. 
And I believe the whole idea about the bride being cleansed and he's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. You know, for a lot of years I've heard, we got to live holy and we got to get into holiness. I mean, I agree with that. However, it's not the focus on holiness. It's the focus on the Holy One and what the Holy One has given you. And when we understand that, then the holiness that needs to manifest will start to manifest. Because what you focus on and what you put your attention on, that's what's going to manifest in your life. You want to get into sin? Start focusing on your sin problems. See, this is so foreign to some people's ears. And what people don't understand is that all of the legalistic people that say, you got you to gotta do this and you got to quit doing this. And, and they've got all of these things. Those people are living in more sin than people that are freed from all of the do's and don'ts. The people that are freed from all of the legalistic constraints of whatever form of legalism they're under, those are the ones that struggle the most. Why? Because their focus is on their performance instead of the one who's already performed what needs to be performed to be right with God. Man, that's awesome. But I don't want to be caught. So I'm very careful when I, when I take the word and I conduct it and I minister it, I'm very careful that I handle it properly. And in specific, that I handle the gospel properly. I don't want to stand before the Lord and him say, why didn't you preach what I called you to preach? Why didn't you tell people the truth? And if you go on and read this, Paul says, he says, look, he said, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to appease man because if I was, I wouldn't be preaching the things that I'm preaching. How many of y'all know that if you're getting beat and you're getting whipped and left for dead and, and all of the religious people, the ones that seem to be cornerstones, the ones that seem to have things together are coming against you, that would be enough for most people to say, you know what, this just really isn't worth it. But I found something, I have something in me. See, God, God changed me with the revelation of the gospel. And this is how I know I got the, I got the, real, the real thing. Because when God manifests inside of you, it won't cause you to go and live unholy. It won't teach you to go and live unholy. I've heard some perversions of the gospel that people, in fact, as a matter of fact, and I wasn't going to get into this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Just recently, there was a man, and I don't know who it was, but he was in Africa, and he was over a whole bunch of churches. And he had some kind of revelation of the gospel, but I can tell you it wasn't a full revelation. And he began to tell people that it didn't matter how you lived here on this earth, since your spirit has been changed, you can do whatever you want to in your body. Anybody who would preach that has a perverted gospel and they really don't understand what Jesus has come to do. Because the Bible tells us that the grace of God, which is the gospel that brings salvation, has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly in this present world. So any, any gospel that would say live like you want, it doesn't matter, or that says you have to perform in order for God to accept you, they're both perverted gospels, either one. And it's not necessarily a middle of the road. I don't know if that's the right way to say it because we need our performance to be good, but our performance doesn't get good by going and trying to be good. Religion, every form of religion in the whole world does things to try to get people to perform at a higher level and yet nobody can really perform at the highest level they need to before God. That's why we have to put our trust in Jesus. You know, the holiest people that I know in terms of their actions are the ones that understand the things that I'm saying right here. Because see, we need to be able to go into the presence of God to receive help in our time of need. How many of y'all have a time of need from time to time? Probably like every day, all, every second of every day. 
And if you think that you have to have some kind of performance to even get to the place to get help to help your performance, you're never going to go into the place to get help for your performance. <laughs> Don't ask me to say that again. I couldn't possibly do it. Sometimes my mind is real sharp, and other times I'm like, how did I, what, what was I saying? What was I saying? No, I'm just kidding. So I want to, yes, about performance. Thank you, Jesus. So look over here in Galatians chapter 5. Hallelujah. Somebody say, stay on target, preacher. All right, I will if you all will listen well. Now listen here, Galatians chapter 5. So I asked the question, why was Paul so angry? And I basically gave you the answer because people were coming in and they were perverting. And you can imagine that he took this personal because it was affecting his personal life. And the people that he was willing to give up his life to change their understanding of who God was and how to relate to them, other religious people came in and began teaching them wrong things. And so when you look here, and as a matter of fact, I'm just going to read some verses here to help paint this picture clearly. In verse 1 of Galatians 5, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, this isn't saying that circumcision is bad. It's just saying that if you're being circumcised under the Jewish religion and culture to try to attain some right standing with God, then Christ profits you nothing. But I know that people do it today because I've had people say, is it okay to be circumcised or circumcised our babies? Yeah, that's fine. We do it for different reasons now. He was saying that if you're doing it for justification, then Christ profits you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So in other words, if you're going to say you have to do this one thing, because the con- in context, well, Galatians, what they were talking about was that the Judaizers came in and they said, yes, you need Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised if you're really going to be right with God. So that was the issue that was, was at hand. So he says, he says here in verse, verse three, he says, then I testify again, and I, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So in other words, if you're going to say you have to keep one part of the law to be right with God, then you've got to keep the entire law if you're going to be right with God. You have become estranged. Now listen to this. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. I do not want to see a show of hands here, but if I had a show of hands, who in here has heard the term fallen from grace and believed that it was in terms or talking about you falling into some kind of sin and you fell from the grace of God, probably nearly every single hand would go up in here. I hear preachers say this all the time. I just heard what I believe to be a very uh, well-studied man of God say this very thing. And when he said it, I thought, oh my God, has he never read the book of Galatians? And he's just quoting it? Because falling from grace isn't about you sliding back into some kind of sin. It's about you sliding from trusting wholly, wholeheartedly, 100% in the finished work of cross to where you start to trust in your own ability. You start to trust in your performance. You start to trust in your works. That's what it means to fall from grace. You're falling down lower and putting yourself underneath the bondage again. Can I get a big amen? It says, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Now listen to this. This is where he really gets angry. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now remember that circumcision is the thing on the table here. That's what he's talking about. He says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. 
A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his own judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. In other words, if I was preaching persecution, people wouldn't be still, I mean, uh, uh, circumcision, people wouldn't be trying to persecute me. But then in verse 12 here, look what it says. He said, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. I've heard this said a lot of different ways. But I'm going to tell you now, the Holy Ghost likes to get people's attention. And I know some people would say, I don't think that he could be saying what I think maybe he's saying. I'm telling you, he's saying what he's saying. What you think he's saying that you don't want to say that he's saying. (laughs) The topic here is circumcision. And he says, look, if those legalistic nut jobs, I mean, you can hear the anger that's in him. I added a nut job there, but you can hear the anger in his voice because in his, in, in his voice, because back in, in chapter one, he says, let them be cursed. Let them be doubly cursed. And here he says, look, if they think circumcision is so great and that's something that's really causing them to be holy, let's not just do a little snip, snip of the tip. Let's cut the whole thing off. He says, I wish that they would cut themselves off. It's exactly what he's talking about here. He's angry. He's mad. So I have something in me that's similar to the Apostle Paul. I don't use language like that. Shame on you, Apostle Paul. (laughs) Although I kind of just did, didn't I? But when I see people, when I see people and I hear things, sometimes I just hear things in the spirit, but oftentimes I hear things that people will say about us, about our church, or about you guys. And what they want to do is they want to bring people back underneath of some system of works constantly. It's a constant fight. Why? Because the enemy hates us. And if he can have something to bring accusation against us, then he's got us. But once we realize that we're free and he can't accuse us of anything anymore, he doesn't have anything against us at all. He has nothing to drag us into the courts, his courts with. But we can go into our courts in the courts of heaven and declare the justification that we have in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. (laughs) See, I just have to keep saying it and preaching it and teaching it and from this angle and 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 then I'll say it this way and then I'll say it that way. Eventually, eventually, I'm going to get every one of you to be on my side as to how powerful this gospel really is. It will cause you to have joy and expressible and full of glory. Thank you, Jesus. As some of you are going, well, I just don't know if I see it. It's like, okay, all right, you're, you're going to get it eventually, all right? <laughs> Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Everybody say, praise God for Pastor Kent. Thank you, Jesus. He's telling me the truth. And look here in Galatians chapter 4. And let's look here in verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. So in other words, you can have everything in Christ, but if 
you still think like a child, you're still going to be in slavery. But as under guardian and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, now listen to this, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. It's a very important phrase right there. We're going to come back to it. It says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, the question is, is what are they no longer a slave to? And don't anybody answer. I'm going to answer in just a second. But what are they no longer a slave to? Do you know who he's writing to here? He's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles. See, a lot of people think, well, Paul was so against the law. No, Paul actually was against the legalism. In general, any, any form of performance that people went underneath of to try to attain favor and right standing and whatever with the Lord, he was against that because the gospel speaks against that. But look here in verse... Eight. It says, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those by those which by nature are not gods. And he was talking about idol worship because the Gentiles, especially in that region, were heavy into idol worship. And he says, by nature, they're not gods. In other words, they didn't have any life in them. They had no breath in them. But now after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I want you to notice something here that he is putting, when he talks about days and seasons, months, seasons and months and years, he's talking about the Jewish customs that they were going underneath of. But he says, notice that his language is he said, desire again to be in bondage. They weren't in Jewish law legalism bondage. They were in idolatry bondage. But he puts them on the exact same level. That's amazing. You know why he puts them on the same level? Because either whether you're underneath of the Mosaic law trying to perform or you're worshiping idols, both are performance-based and both will leave you high and dry with no true real relationship with Jesus. This phrase, elements here in verse, put it in verse three and also in verse nine, when he talks about the weak and beggarly elements that are in the world, this word elements is the Greek word stoikio. Sounds great. None of you know it, and so I'm going to go with that. Stoikio. And it, and it basically, it just means the basis of Jew and Gentile religion. Wait a second. Jew and Gentile religion have nothing in common. But they do have something in common. It's Satan, the devil, telling people they have to perform to have right standing with whatever God they're serving. It's all back on performance. Listen to this commentary I've got here. This is amazing. It says that Paul teaches that the demonic spirits find easy allegiance with the rituals and philosophies of human religion and tradition. Hence, the elements of the world are actually evil spirits that use the rituals of the law to enslave and condemn. See, this, there is a, and, and this is where you have to just look into the spirit a little bit here with me, but 
the demonic spirits that worked back then, then are the same demonic spirits that work now. As far as we know, they don't, they don't die. They don't cease to exist. They're still there. And this, we have to understand something, that we can be the ones, if we're not careful, that get bewitched and get underneath of a legalistic system, whatever it looks like. See, the nature of deception is that you don't know you're deceived. And the thing that brings you out of deception is putting the truth in front of you. This is why, I'll just say this, if, if I was able to preach for three hours every Sunday morning, you would not get enough from me to, to counteract all of the accusations and lies of the enemy that have been perpetrated through religion, through human philosophy, through men's ideas, it wouldn't be enough. You have to get into the word and look and find these things out to be true for yourself. It's extremely important. Even the apostle Peter was bewitched. Do you realize that Peter, listen to this, do you realize that Peter had an open vision from the Lord? See, this is where a lot of people, they think, and, and I'm, I'm always the, I feel like the balancing force. I am so into visions and dreams. I have them and prophecy and all kinds of things. But when it comes down to it, we always have to come back to what the word is saying. Peter had an open vision. You remember this? It was in Acts chapter nine or 10, somewhere around there. And in the open vision, there was a sh- the, the sheet that came down and on the sheet was all kinds of unclean animals. And the Lord sp- spoke to him and he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, oh no, Lord, I can't ever partake of any of that kind of stuff. And he said, don't you dare ever call unclean what I've called clean. The vision ended and there was some men from Cornelius's house that came and said, you're Peter, you're the one we're looking for. The Cornelius's house, they were, they were Gentiles. And so the thing that the Lord showed Peter was that the Gentiles had been considered unclean, but the Lord was saying, now is the time of the Gentiles and don't call them unclean because I've called them clean. Peter goes from the trance, the vision that he had, and he goes to Cornelius's house. The power of God falls. They all get filled with the Holy Ghost. And that area was shaken because of the revelation that Peter had. Now listen to this. Here's something you have to understand about the apostolic. It's territorial. Not like, this is my territory, but God gives apostles different regions that they're in charge of. Well, what happened was that Antioch, Antioch was Paul's territory. Paul had delivered the gospel there. He had set people free, and he was the apostle over that region. The problem was, is that Peter came from Jerusalem and came up to Antioch, and he was fellowshipping with the Gentiles there. And then what happened is that when some people from James's church down in Jerusalem came north and went to Antioch, Peter pulled himself away from the Gentiles because his Jewish friends were there. Why? Because he was afraid to be seen and he was pulled back into that legalistic mindset, that legalistic thinking that he had grown up with, even though he had an open vision from God He got persuaded. Those evil spirits pulled him back into a performance-based mentality. And this is when Paul, it tells us in Galatians chapter 3, it says that Paul openly, he said, I openly confronted him face to face. Here's practical wisdom. If somebody's doing destruction, not publicly, then, and just privately, then you confront them privately. But as soon as somebody starts to do destruction publicly, that's when you have to deal with them publicly. All right. Moving on from that. (laughs) The basis for all 
humans performing comes from one time in human history. Let's go all the way back to Genesis and look at something here. Are you getting anything out of this? Say, thank you, Jesus. My revelation is growing. Genesis chapter 3. Look here in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read just a few verses here. In verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So he was questioning to her. He was questioning God's words. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, free, of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, which we know is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There was the first lie that they believed. They believed that they were not already like the one that God had made them identical to him. Not in the sense that they were God, but he, they had the likeness, they bore the likeness and the image of God, and he had given them reign and rule and authority in the earth. Wow. But look at the next verse. It says, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. Now, I want to show you something. Go back to chapter 2 in verse 25, and look at what it says here, and then we're going to come right back where we were. In verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, and they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. So they were naked, and they had zero shame involved with their nakedness. And then going back to verse 8, or in verse 7, it says, And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. This right here is the problem with the human condition. And this is what the enemy takes any and every form of religion, including Christianity, that has legalism mixed in. He uses it for this, from this right here. Because when the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked, that was shame. They immediately had shame that said, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I've got issues. I've got problems immediately. Why? Because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't say that they ate of the tree of good and evil. It says of the knowledge of good and evil. What kind of knowledge was it? From this, it tells us that it, it wasn't just that they knew the difference between good and evil, but it automatically brought them into performance. Immediately, they felt shame, and then they felt the need to perform. So it was a knowledge of good and evil of Am I good enough or am I not good enough? Am I evil before God or am I right before God? It was an immediate performance-based mentality. So it says the eyes of, of both of them were, were open. They knew they were naked. And then the next thing it says, and they, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. That's self-effort. So here you have, you have the problem in the human condition. And what happened is that when the enemy came in, and I wrote this down because I thought it was so good that when Satan brought the temptation in, 
The kingdom of darkness invaded man's kingdom that God had given man. But we know that that's not the end of the story. But when Jesus came in through the cross, that was the kingdom of God invading the kingdom of darkness to take it all back and set things right and set things in order. You know that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all is a picture of man's self-effort, but the tree of life is a picture of Jesus in the cross and what he did. And now on this side of the cross, we can eat of the tree of life, of the cross, of the substance of what Jesus did, and we don't have to go back to the place of guilt, of shame, and then self-effort to try to work our way into pleasing God. But this is the basis for every, so you realize that every world religion, with the exception, if you want to call Christianity a world religion, with the exception of true, biblical, gospel grace Christianity, every single world religion is based off of shame and works. When you strip it all down to the basis, everybody, it is human intuition. When you get three, four, five, six years old, Anywhere in there, there's an awareness of, I'm not quite right here. I've got some issues here. A kid may not know how to phrase that, but certainly as we get older, we, we learn these things. And sometimes it's not from religion. Sometimes it's just because we're human beings and we don't know the truth and the enemy comes in and he's accusing us constantly that we're not worthy, we're not good enough, that we have to do this and we have to do that. And if he can, he will get people. This is, this is the exact reason how the enemy gets people involved with Buddhism and Hinduism and Hare Krishna and Confucianism. And those are all the isms I can think of. This is how he gets them involved. And you look at, you look at idol worship. I mean, there's nothing. If you think about the epitome of what idol worship looks like, I don't think that anybody thought, oh, man. Wouldn't it be just so great if we just made like a statue and, oh man, we could set the thing up and just bow down. That would be so fun. Like, I don't think anybody in the history of mankind ever did that. But yet they had something in them that said, I got to do something if I'm going to be okay. Why? Because they have shame. Human beings have shame. We see our sin. We see our fault. We see our issue. And because we're made in the likeness and the image of God, but yet we act like the devil sometimes, there's something in us that says we have to perform if we're going to be right. And so the devil leads people into all of these different kind of religions until they find Jesus. Then they're set free. Until some goofball comes in and tells them, oh, yes, Jesus has saved you, but now you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to perform. It's like they come to the altar, and it's like, oh, Jesus, thank God, I just need you to save me, and they give their life to him right there in the, mess of, in the midst of all of their sin and their mess and all of their issues, and they turn around, and there's someone standing there saying, you know, you, you really need to read three chapters a day, and, you know, you really need to make sure that you're here every Sunday and every Wednesday, and whatever list of things that they've got to do, and they take them from grace right into performance. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with going to church or reading your Bible, but that's not what causes us to be right with God. And this is the very reason why Paul was so mad. This is the very reason why he was so angry at the devil and, and the people that were being used by the devil to bring people back into legalism. Man, I don't know if you're getting what I'm putting down here. This is, to me, this is just awesome. There's a book, Andrew Walmack has a book called Who Told You You Were Naked? 
It's a reality of, human, of, of humans to realize that they need to do something in order to get right. But if we don't tell them the truth and we don't know the, tr- know the truth ourselves, we bring people and we keep ourselves in a performance-based mentality. Let me show you one more verse and then we're going to quit. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. And look here. It's quiet in here. And look here in verse 8. This is a warning. This is Paul writing to the Colossians. He says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. This basic principles of the world, of, of the, yeah, the world here, that's that same Greek word that I pretended like I could pronounce that, that I couldn't pronounce from back in Galatians chapter 4, where it's talking about the basis of every Jew and Gentile religion, every religion in the world. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you. And that word cheat means to pull you in through philosophy. It's a way of thinking through empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. In verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Hallelujah. Pull up the Passion Translation, same chapter, verse 14. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the oldest arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. What's the oldest arrest warrant that stood to indict us? It was what Satan did in the garden. And he had accusation against man because man sinned and turned over man's kingdom that was given to them by God, turned it over to the devil. And the devil from the time of the garden all the way until the time of Jesus, man did not have authority over the enemy but everything changed here. It says he erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam, what were we once in Adam? Full of shame and full of self-effort. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and now permanently there is a public display of cancellation. Verse 15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. He can no longer come. If we know who we are in Christ, he can no longer come and bring any kind of accusation to you to tell you that you are not living at a level high enough for God to accept you because Jesus stripped all of that out. Our identity is fully, totally, 100% complete in him. We are justified, redeemed, forgiven, set free, all of that in a bunch more. And it says, by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in procession of triumph. He is not their prisoner. They were his. Now go to verse 16. And it says, so why would you allow anyone to judge you because of what you eat or drink? Or insist that you keep the feast, observe new moons, uh, new moon celebrations, or the Sabbath. Do you know that I know people right now that are born again, many people, they're born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, have had some kind of revelation that they needed Jesus, that still believe that they're supposed to celebrate from Friday at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, whatever it is, until Saturday at the same time. And if they don't, God's not going to bless them, that he might even curse them, that, they're not gonna, that things aren't going to work out for them, that they still keep the Sabbath day? 
You know that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath? That's why he's called the Lord of the Sabbath. We find our rest in him and not in a day. He don't care if you go to church on Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. He just cares that you go every day there. Look at the next verse. All of these were but a prophetic shadow and the evidence of what would be fulfilled for the body is now Christ. We're out of time, man. I'm more disappointed than you all are about that. Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, that's awesome. You have to go get your kids because the teachers do not want you over here with them having their kids anymore. Bless you. I hope this blessed you. The glory of God showed up. The word of God showed up. We're filled. We're overflowing. Take it and run with it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.